But hello and welcome to the Meet at the Mint podcast, episode four. I think this is episode four, but this is the day after opening day. So John and Kate and I talked a little bit before opening day. I'm here today with Anders Jorstad and Zach Mason for a little recap and review of game number one. And the Mariners are undefeated. We're undefeated right now and it feels good. But I want to go straight to Zach. There were a couple of really choice moments from last night, but what stood out to you the most? Well, I mean... Our top story at this hour is that the Angels and the Astros are tied for last place in the American League West. And I think we should all just like revel in that for a moment because, you know, what a time to be alive. Uh, it is a glorious thing. The, the yeah. Astros are back is what you're saying? Oh, man. You know, it's been so long I actually forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> How could you? It was so sweet for like a year. And even, yeah. even that year, they're still beating the crap out of us, if you remember. <laughs> Best 10 minutes of my life. Uh, well, no. So, so to answer your question, Evan, uh, I, there were a couple of, of the biggest moments of the game. I think the, the Karen Chak inning was, uh, has been well covered in many corners of the internet, including a terrific about last night from Kate that you can find on lookoutlanding.com. Um, we should talk about that inning because it was amazing. But to me, the real highlight was uh, Matt Brash sending Jose Ramirez, you know, all the way back to where he came from, spinning him around into the earth. Like, honestly, I've been thinking about it all day and have yet to come up with an analogy for this. It was that, it was that of itself, that moment on a, one of the nastiest sliders I have ever seen. Um, To set the stage, the game is tied at zero, zero. It's the seventh inning. Luis Castillo has pitched a gem of six innings. The Mariners' bats are alive, but not wide awake. They've had a base runner in, I think, every inning to this point, but have not managed to get a man past third base. Just not stringing those hits together in a timely way. So the game, you know, continues to be on the line. The the 0-0 score from continues. It's like the Mariners are addicted to it after, after that 18-inning game. And... Matt Brash has to t- face the top of the order. Cleveland's best hitter, one of the best hitters in the American League, Jose Ramirez, and uh, gets him to a 3-2 count. And just, I I can't describe this pitch. It, it flew to the his, Jose Ramirez's back foot. And J-Ram just falls flat on his ass on home plate. Like, uh, again, without metaphor. He just fall, he fell on his ass. It was a classic pratfall. <laughs> uh, what, what were you guys' take on this? I, I, I've set it up, but man, it was just—it was glorious comedy. So I'm gonna—I'm gonna level with the audience here and admit the fact that I only watched the first three innings of the game last night um, because I'm not a trooper like you, Zach. And even though I'm in DC, and and I'm not really in DC, I'm in—I'm in DC the way that someone in Woodenville is in Seattle. But we'll—we'll we'll claim it anyway. Um, and East Coast I, I just, time. Yeah, I just decided to, to to clock out after the third inning. Um, but I was, you know, delighted by what I saw. Um, and I woke up and saw that Matt Brash highlight. And I was just like, I could not believe what I saw. And I can't, you know, I can only imagine how it would have looked watching it live. But I want to say that it's not just that one, which, first of all, like embarrassing J-Ram of all people. Because J-Ram is, is a star who is like known for his plate discipline. This is not like, you know, striking out. 
I don't know, who's like a star that strikes out a lot, like David Ortiz. Like, you know, you'll Juan find Carlos an embarrassing Ken, moment. Yeah, no, it's, right. he's, you'll find like he's, an embarrassing moment here or there with those guys. But this is J-Ram who like famously walks more than he strikes out most of the time. The, the back control guy. I mean, that is how he became a, right. a power hitter was by, he was the guy who was able to elevate the ball and pull it like nobody else was able to and became a, a contact, went from a contact hitter to a power hitter. His, his whiff rate is always in, you know, bottom 10, bottom 15% of the league. But it wasn't just Brash either. I mean, in the three innings I watched, um, Luis Castillo struck out Stephen Kwan swinging, which is an incredible feat in and of itself because mm-hmm. Kwan's like one trait is that he does not swing and miss. He, he famously, sorry, I keep interrupting you, but I mean, Stephen Kwan <laughs> was, he started his career breaking the record for the most swings without a miss. Yeah, and he did the same thing to Miles Straw too, which is another player who doesn't swing. I mean, that's the Guardians thing. They They do not swing and miss and they had some embarrassing swings and misses, which is... You know, um, if if you wanted a reason to be hyped about the Mariners pitching staff, that is definitely, you know, like if if Luis Castillo wins a Cy Young this year, that is like that is what it looks like. Right. Like this is what that looks like. Having a start like that against a team like that. Um, not not a team like that in the way that Culver would say a team like that, but like <laughs> actually <laughs> respectfully a team like that. Um it is worth noting that they did add Mike Zunino this offseason. So they are they are moving away from the <laughs> low strikeout ways. They're they're interested in adding some whiffs to their game. It's like a scoop of ice cream after a week of salad. You know, you 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 get to have a little cheat day sometimes. <laughs> Mike Zunino, the cheat day of Cleveland. <laughs> kind of. But anyway, like, you know, it is very exciting to see that from brash and like i saw that swing and my first thought was like do i need to restart my matt brash as a starter agenda um i don't know if i'm ready for that yet but i i might be getting there if, if he continues to look like this i mean he might need a third pitch for that still but i i agree i mean he looked he was in my view the most unhittable looking pitcher of the night from either team uh which is really saying something when cleveland is putting out shane beaver cy young award winner Trevor Stephan, who I think is underknown, uh, but one of the best relievers in the league, truly, um, just got a big extension. James Karinchak, who we will talk about, is a very, very good pitcher when he's not being distracted by the T-Mobile crowd. And of course, uh, Emmanuel Classe, who did not pitch last night, but I think was in line for the ninth, had it gotten there. Uh, I, I do have things to say about Karinchak if... Oh, I don't want to derail whatever Evans' flow is here. I feel like we're just like stomping all over him here. But nope, keep going. Well, keep going. I mean, look, it. the, it's worth moving on from from Jose Ramirez because you know we're having a. Everybody's really enjoying that moment, but it is worth remembering that he has a family, and um, you know he's <laughs> he's going to have to retire in shame, return all his money that he's made to Cleveland. I I don't see any other path forward for him. He'll he'll make a second career as a professional Mario Kart racer. He's fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> Slipping on banana peels. That's well. I, I I mean that is that is true and that is funny. But I don't know if you guys know that he is like apparently like the world's greatest Mario Kart racer. That is a fact because really? of the hand-eye coordination. That doesn't surprise me one bit. Yeah, awesome. every time every time a new guardian comes into the clubhouse, like either via call up or trade or whatever, like the first thing they have them do is race Jose Ramirez in Mario Kart, and they play sixty four. So they're playing like the old like old Mario Kart. Um, Who's he and play as? Now I have to know. I think Yoshi. I'm pretty oh, sure of course. he's Yoshi. Of course, of course. Of course. Um, and I, I'm fairly certain nobody has beaten him yet, but I heard, if I'm remembering this right, that Stephen Kwan came pretty close. Another hand-eye coordination guy, yeah. 
anyway. So that's that's pretty fun. Um, you know, Jose Ramirez will be just fine, but it is you know he will have that gif forever. Unfortunately, yeah, for him. he he did hit a double in his next at bat. <laughs> He's already on the road to recovery. So so the Karen check thing. I think Evan, you may have heard this because I may have mentioned it on our old show. Um, for those for those of you listening who do not know, I spent a year as a radio play by play announcer for the Lynchburg Hellcats, a Guardians affiliate. Um, they were at the time a high A affiliate. Now they are just regular single A. Um, and there were a number of guys who came through there. Like Stephen Kwan was was one of our main guys that year, so I know him pretty well. Um, Will Benson was on that team. Tyler Freeman was on that team. So I like like probably half a dozen of the guys on the Guardians right now were on that squad. But I came a year late for Karen Shack, but I heard some stories, and that guy is certified insane. Like <laughs> every story Looks I heard like about it. him, he's he's just like a crazy human being. Um, I, I was basically told don't go anywhere near that guy if you ever see him. So, is he, <laughs> so, like, is he violent? He looks like he'd be violent. Well, I didn't hear anything like like bad. Like I didn't hear anything that was like morally damning. I just heard that he was just like he would go around like shouting and saying like very weird things. Um, deeply intense person. Yes, deeply yeah. and intense we, and weird. And we know that yesterday in particular must have been just a rough day for him on you know on a news front without being specific. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, it really mm. must have shaken his confidence out there. Um, but why don't why don't you guys take us through? that inning a little bit because T-Mobile Park doesn't often get talked about on kind of like a national level as a place where the crowd is a big factor. But I do think we saw that last night and the team seemed to acknowledge it. How do you think that T-Mobile brought this in for the Mariners, brought it home when they were struggling to score? The crowd was all over him. I saw several people tweeting that like, gee, I hope it came through on uh, over TV, how, how into it the crowd was and counting down the the pitch clock for Karen check and like just jumping over the jolt of energy when he violated the pitch clock and, and JP got that, that automatic ball in an O2 count was it, it was palpable from across the country. I felt that jolt of energy. I threw my hands up in the air. It was unreal. And it was the crowd more than anything else, which I mean, the crowd was on all night. It, it, it has to be said the, the intros were, Say, you know, the Mariners always do a really great uh, pregame show for, for opening day. We should we should talk about some of that. But from the very beginning, I think the crowd was really into this game. I think it was an extension of that 18-inning game where people were on their feet for six hours and never got a moment of release. There was never a run scored, you know? I mean, striking out the, the Astros repeatedly was pretty good, but there was never the catharsis of Seattle taking the lead, something to really care about. And I think they, they, they smelled blood in the water and they went right after it. Yeah. I only saw the highlights afterwards, obviously, but um, is, is this just like all the Seahawks fans, like finally coming to Mariners games and deciding to be as loud as they are at Seahawks games? I think these were, these were hardcore Mariners fans. It was opening day. This was, you know, I don't think these are bandwagon fans. I think these are people who like got their tickets early, go to opening day every year. I mean, I, I really think it was, uh, I'm sure there's a ton of overlap, of course, between the, sure, the sports fans of the city, to, but I'm not trying to gatekeep the fandom. I'm, I'm more saying that like, maybe that's the element that we're seeing is like the rabid Seattle sports fan come to life that we have already seen in football games. I think that's wrong. I think that there's definitely an uptick in, in the casual fan base and that they were into it last night and that people are kind of finding the Mariners this year with all the hype coming off of last year. Um, and Zach kind of indicated what 
I took away from yesterday, which is that it does feel like a continuation of last year in, in a very big way. And in Ty France, his actual quotes after the game, I believe, where, you know, the band is back, where the boys are back. Um, this is a continuation. We're picking up where we left off. And the Mariners have been through a long period where developmentally they were, you know, they weren't turning over the whole roster anymore, but they were starting from scratch in a lot of ways every year, all the way up to last year when Julio was a question mark, Matt Brash was a question mark, Andres Munoz was a question mark. And we have answers to all those questions now that are very, very good. Um, and that's that's a really fortunate thing. But the question was has always been, can they build on that? Can they be that second half team on day one? And they sure looked like it yesterday. And the crowd dismantling Karacek was uh, was the thing of beauty because I think that after the first couple of innings, the game slowed down quite a bit when the Mariners started to get a couple more hits and get some more runners on base, and, and the game just kind of found a more natural rhythm. Um, but it was cool to get a really stark demonstration of the pitch clock and how that can play into kind of the gamesmanship and the strategy of the sport on opening day. Because we've heard so much about these rule changes and how much is going to matter and the pitch clock and getting to actually see it working and, and the way that it might play out. I was really pleased with the intensity that it brought to the game and how our fans responded. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the concern was that it would zap some of the drama out of the game. But I think quite to the contrary. I mean, I was on the edge of my seat to see if he was going to miss it again and and the extent to which it was rattling him that he was having to get off these pitches faster than he normally would. Um, I think, if anything, it has had the exact... I've One game, one game. We'll see how it plays out. But I think, if anything, it was the exact opposite and it added drama to the game. I also just want to give a quick shout out. I think the way that Root Sports is handling the pitch clock in their score bug is pitch perfect. And I was very concerned about that based on spring training. It is extremely well done. Hats off to the, the crew over there. I mean, to be honest with you, okay, so I, I'm guessing you're referring to the fact that they only show it to you when it gets below 10 seconds, which... yes. It, and it's very okay. unobtrusive, just like takes over that little R circle. It's not in like, you know, right. neon colors or anything. Which I don't know if you guys watched any baseball games yesterday before the Mariners game, but like MLB Network or whichever, you know, uh, broadcast partner they were taking the stream of was was not doing that. They were displaying it like front and center, or at least it was more uh, it was bigger in font, at least. And they yeah, were doing, all 15, doing it like that. Right. And they were doing all 15 seconds. I think it was Bally, actually, which. Um, are are they the ones going under? <laughs> oh yeah, um, I mean, what does it mean for a corporation to go under in 2023? Uh, it's true, but I I would honestly say that the Mariners Root Sports could could even dial it back a little bit. Like I wouldn't even mind if they didn't start it till like seven or six. Yeah, I I agree. I saw someone pointing out that like eight is an important number in the whole sequence because that's when like the batter needs to be alert to the pitcher. And so yeah, starting true. it at eight is like maybe a little too late. I don't feel that way, but I see the point. I guess we'll see if that like if that gets called ever, and you know we're like, oh, that came out of nowhere. Yeah, I always forget that a hitter can get called for it. Um, I think I was the only person who picked a hitter during the lookout landing uh, predictions article of like who's going to have the most pitch clock violations. But um, I, I have we seen. Or I guess we only had the one yesterday, and it's only been one game. I wonder when we will see a hitter have that kind of violation and who it would be for the Mariners. Yeah, I think AJ Pollock's a strong bet. Your reasoning was pretty persuasive to me that you know the players who've been around the long, longest are going to have the hardest time adjusting. Right. I think Cano would be in a lot of trouble if he was still in MLB. 
<laughs> I, I'm speaking of Pollock. I'm shocked that we're now on day two and we haven't seen him in the lineup. I thought he would be a prominent part of this Mariners lineup. Um, well, they have faced; they have not faced a lefty yet. Sure, but I thought the idea. I mean, you sign him to a ten million dollar deal. You're not only going to play him against lefties. You don't give a guy ten million dollars to play against lefties only. Well, I think seven, but also the. Uh, I think they they were trying out Lestella last night. Cooper Hummel is in the lineup tonight. I think we're all very excited about that. Yeah, I would be surprised to see Pollock tomorrow in in the DH spot. Which one? All right, we're 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 like we're like rapidly changing topics here. But which one of the two guys there, Pollock or Hummel, do you think gets more plate appearances this year? Hummel, Hummel for sure. I he can just play in in much more positional versatility, and I I think at some point this year he will be catching for a spell. You know, like it's likely that one of the catchers gets injured and is on the injured list for some amount of time and, and Hummel fills in there. And I think that Pollock doesn't have a clear line to starting play unless someone underperforms in front of him. Right. Like they're not going to really start him over Jared if Jared plays like he did last night. And we'll get to that. But yeah, do you think I, I guess I'd see Hummel feels like more of a true utility switchblade type player <laughs> switchblade. Um Whereas <laughs> switch played, whereas uh, Hummel, excuse me, Pollock feels more like an actual rotational, uh, rotational piece for lefty hitting. What do you think? Yeah, I I guess when when they signed Pollock, and, and this is my thinking the whole off season, because everyone and and their mother was upset every time the Mar- the Mariners failed to sign like a one and a half win outfielder. Any time that kind of player went somewhere else, people would get all up in arms. Um, they're like, oh, the Mariners should have given that guy that. And and my thought process was like, who is going to want to come to be like Jared Kelnick's like lefty saver, basically, to like block against lefty pitchers and and nothing else for Seattle. You know, I did not think that the list of players was very high. So when they signed Pollock, my thinking was, okay, he's going to play against all lefties and like half of righties. And between that, he'll get like 400 plate appearances. And I mean, again, it's only been two games, but like, I'm wondering if that is actually the plan or if he's kind of just going to be like a two day a week guy and clubhouse leader. Yeah. When they signed him, I expected them that he would play a lot more, but that was before, I mean, Hummel had a really strong spring. We'll see if it, if it doesn't translate, I think obviously we'll see more Pollock. Tommy Listella seems like he's, you know, a stiff breeze away from crumbling to the ground. So I, I could see him having a path to a lot of playing time. I just wouldn't, I would bet on Hummel based on their performances so far. Pollock has had a rough spring. Um, while we're on the subject of AJ Pollock, did either of you know that in the notice that in the, the hype video that they played before the game, there was uh, Marco Gonzalez striking out AJ Pollock at like a punctuation mark moment? <laughs> Which it's a little embarrassing. Just, like, Pretty sloppy, I thought. <laughs> I mean, even Marco Gonzalez struck out a lot of guys last year. They could have picked yeah, really anybody. You don't, you don't want to do that in your hype video. That should have been checked by someone. That's funny. Yeah, well, maybe when Jan- John Stanton was in the recording booth doing the voiceover, he uh, he could have pointed that out. So wait, was he was he the one that that was the voiceover? He was. It said at the beginning, oh. narrated by John Stanton. So that's so gross. Yeah, well, you just, well you, signed, know. you just signed Goldie to a big deal and you're going to get their voiceover to John Stanton. Also, you know, a lot of these teams, they use like little celebrities for that sort of thing. Like Tom Hanks does stuff for Cleveland. and uh, Well, Macklemore's you know. already done like 12 of those in a row. They had to give him a break. 
Seattle has other celebrities. Yeah, this is our pitch for different Seattle celebrities besides <laughs> Macklemore. <laughs> I will say it was super cool the lineup they brought out to do the first pitch. I was I was in awe of the people they brought I'm out. So so jazzed so, by that. Who, who who was the white guy? <laughs> I, could, I had no idea. Who that, that was, was that was Casey Keller, a legendary Seattle Sounder. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's he's a, a goalie, right? Team. Sounders goalie. I I think he's their midshipman. That was a joke. I have no idea what what position he played. <laughs> I just wrote it down because I, I wanted to be on top of who all these people were. I recognize. I, was like, them I know all of them except for that random white guy. I was like, is that I just know. some business owner they they brought out to like make him feel like he was important? <laughs> <laughs> that was our and Ted all- Lasso, as it were. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> so they added his you know his history to the internet. See, so trying to find out if anybody will notice. Uh, but yeah, for those who missed it, who tuned in, you know, just for the like first pitch of the game and missed the ceremonial first pitch in honor of the, uh, all-star game coming to Seattle this year, they had, uh, Casey Keller, Jewel Lloyd, Gary Payton, Marshawn Lynch, and Ken Griffey Jr. All stars at Seattle sports throughout the first pitch to five Seattle Mariners who have been all stars in their careers. Um, it was, it was a great choice. was just back there too. (laughs) And I'm like, when did he, he's been an all-star. Who are the five? Uh, who are the five Mariners then? So France, Julio, France, Julio, Pollock, Robbie Ray, and uh, I JP, mean, Luis, right? No, no, okay, no, no. He should have been, been. They gave that to Kikuchi. It's going to embarrass us when we think of it. This is so. This is such bad audio. And someone really out there bad is audio. screaming at their phone. <laughs> That's all right. Look, the crowd. I, I say the crowd was into it from the beginning. The cheers from Marshawn Lynch were out of this world. I mean. I and that was a good get for Seattle. I he I do not think has like the warmest relationship with Seattle, all things considered. So good job by uh by the team in the marketing office there. I was gonna say, I think that Marshawn does have a warm relationship with Seattle, but it has it has taken time for that to to warm up properly. Cause he might have one of the most strangest divorces from a, a local team in our collective like zeitgeist. Um but I, it, he I is think- beloved. I mean, the fact that he he went back home, I think, makes it a little bit more forgivable, right? Like, he wanted to go play for Oakland before they left Oakland. Like, I can kind of understand that. Yeah, yeah. He came back and played (laughs) under very strange circumstances, but also that he has, like, a, you know, like the Beast clothing line here and and does some pretty regular Seattle stuff. So we do love him here. Um, Are are all those people living in Seattle? Like, does does Marshawn live here? No, I don't think any of them do. I don't think Kenny Jr. is in Seattle. Really? I think he's there a lot, but I don't think he even. I don't. Uh, this is why we need Kate on every podcast. She would know. <laughs> I know. It was uh, it was Teoscar Hernandez was the fifth uh, former All Star. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, yeah. Other other big pops noticed in the the pregame show. Perry Hill, very appreciated by by this fan base. And uh, Suarez, I thought had a great intro as well. The the crowd really seemed to go go nuts for him. I was imp- I was kind of surprised by how many cheers Jared Kelnick got mostly because like he hasn't done anything. And I feel like with most fan bases, his career would make him like loathed, right? Like if he had his, if he was a Yankee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, or I mean, still... if he was, yeah. Yeah. If he was a Met, if he was with any important team, right. And I, I'm sorry to say that the Mariners are historically not important, but I don't feel like that's a hot take. Um, but yeah, no. like, I, I know a lot of fan bases that would see what Kelnick has done and they would not cheer for him. They'd be like, this guy's got to earn my cheers, you know, but yeah. the Mariners fans are like, we it's the Tinkerbell it. effect, man. We're, we're, we're backing him. That's what's going to make 
get work. We're prospect pilled too, man. We love a, a promising young player. We're about that. We don't want the Jared Washburns of the world coming here and you know <sighs> being signed to a slightly overpaid contract when they're 32. We want these young kids basically too young to be real adults playing the sport for us and being spectacular in Julio's case. I always just like am amazed that he's 22 and last year he was 21. It's still like doesn't fully compute for me, but you know, I was thinking about this. I, I think I want to write about this at some point, but like, are you, are you guys too young for ER? Uh, I have seen ER. It is kind of a deep cut at this point. Probably the modern reference would be, Oh well, God, now I can't think of what it's called. Uh, with Grace is what you're thinking of, but uh, uh, yes, there, there's this moment in season two, of this episode called high water where George Clooney saves a kid from a storm drain. The people who've seen ER will know what I'm talking about. And there's this shot where he's like, George Clooney is holding the kid after he's finally got him out of the storm drain, but the kid is like passed out. And there's a crane shot, like looking George Clooney looking up in this storm. And collectively, America lost their minds. It was a moment when it went from like, oh, this guy's not just like a hot actor on a hip show. He is a megastar, like permanent A-lister. And I feel like that was Julio in the home run derby last year. And now, oh, yeah. like seeing him in like Sports Illustrated, GQ, he is all over the place. Like, it feels to me like this is his like Ocean's Eleven year. You know, he's like, he has arrived. Did you guys read his article in the Tacoma News Tribune? Excuse me. Yes. Yes. It'll <laughs> <laughs> be great seeing him string for the, the Tacoma News Tribune. I don't mean to derail <laughs> the conversation from what I'm guessing you're gonna go to here, but. I, I always feel weird reading the Players' Tribune pieces because I always am distracted by wondering how much the player actually wrote versus like their people, how much like a ghostwriter helped out. Yeah, and and um, y- you can tell it's like in their voice. So I'm like, did they like interview the person? They just like write down how the interview went, or did the person write a draft and just got heavily edited? Like I always have these questions. But I mean, there's at the end of the day, what's the difference? Like it's true. These these are Julio's thoughts. These are clearly his expression this is clearly his expression and if he like mediated that through somebody and then ultimately signed off on the end product if he like sat down at the keyboard and typed all this out like what what functionally is the difference between that no you're right and i had the same i had the same experience when i was reading mitch's and you know mitch's was was great um i had the same experience like reading david ross's book i was like this book is like i mean it's obviously in his voice but did he write it um (laughs) But anyway, with regards to the piece from from Julio, I was surprised by how long it was. I don't know about you guys. I was like, usually these pieces are like half this length. Um, but I, I mean, that's... I think and with contracts. Cool. <laughs> True enough. Um, but he had a lot a lot to say. Um, and I, I thought it was it was cool to hear all of his thoughts like that. Um, yeah, I think his, his dedication to the city seems pretty intense at this point and his his connection to the mariners organization i think it was like it was nice for him to be able to tell that story in a way that like sometimes other people are, are telling it and have to you know there's that i think it's in the piece where depoto reminds people like he's actually the longest tenured mariner he's <laughs> because he signed so long I mean, ago <laughs> i mean yeah but like it's a technicality but still kind of remarkable when you think about it well i i just it speaks to this relationship being a little deeper than it can seem when you just think about him as having been a rookie last year, right? Mm-hmm. It is like, this has been cooking for a very long time and he feels supported clearly by the trust that they have placed in him to be himself and allowing him to be himself. And clearly that has permeated throughout the entire team. I mean, he it's, it's his team at this point and they all seem to have this attitude of just enjoying being themselves. Um, 
I was I was having this conversation with uh, my girlfriend Ariana yesterday, where she turned to me after they mentioned that Julio was the rookie of the year last year, and she's like, "This is Julio's second year. Like, it feels like he's been around for like five years at this point." And I guess because maybe because our our conscience like awareness of him has been around for much longer. Like everyone knew who he was when he was with the Everett Aqua Sox. You know, like this is a guy who had higher name recognition than like most of the bullpen that year. But <laughs> so it it is weird that he is like still only entering his sophomore season. And it definitely feels like this is his team already. And I guess, you know, I was too young to like really have an awareness of that with Ichiro, but I imagine it was like a similar effect when he came over. And of course he did come over with like a really good team already, but I'm guessing it was like a similar feeling in that, like he is the face of the franchise pretty quickly. Well, I, I, you know, I don't know, like, cause Edgar on that team, Dan Wilson was on that team. Uh, there was a little more continuity, right? Like of what happened with Julio is that he joined a team that was like in a transitional phase, right? Like your Mitch was around, Marco was around then, he's still around, but that's like really it. These are all very recent additions to the team, and so it was a little easier to step in and like be the face of the team. Well, and, and Ichiro is like a very different person than Julio is. That's like, right. Almost he's... could not find two different types of people as superstars for Seattle. Yeah, Julio really loves the spotlight in a way that I, I think Ichiro didn't exactly shy away from it, but he was not like going around with his own video crew. I actually think they're a better comparison than you might imagine. Julio is more effervescent, but there are stories about Ichiro being very close and, and very having really good camaraderie with his teammates in a way that I do think Julio is reminiscent of, very much so. I also think they're similar in that Julio and Ichiro, Ichiro especially, was never really like the captain of the team, so to speak. You know what I mean? When it came to like a leadership thing or when you talk about who the team's the team captain would be it was never Ichiro but that wasn't because he wasn't good it was because he was he had a role and he was fulfilling that role and being the best that he could be at for him and we see that with Julio it doesn't mean he won't be team captain someday um it's just that he was so realized when he got here that he didn't have to change anything and he fit in the hierarchy perfectly and I do think that is a testament to the new leadership that's here both in terms of service and in terms of off the field in terms of the player, anyone off the field, I think there are better people in this organization than there were in the previous two regimes in terms of, of fostering someone like him. Because I know that the Mariners underserved Dustin Ackley, Justin Smoke, Jesus Montero, and a, a generation of talented guys. And uh, it's good to not see that. But I think what I wanted to bring this back to was part of what's been so striking about Julio over the past month, especially, has been that, like you said, Zach, he kind of had the coming out party last year with uh, the home run derby and, you know, some of the September heroics. But the last couple of weeks have been wild because he got a Seattle Times article, which was it's Julio's world and everybody wants to live in it was the name of that article from Ryan Divish that came out. Then he was on the cover of GQ. Then he did the Sports Illustrated thing. And then he did the Players Tribune article all in the span of like 10 days. And so it feels like we've had this second national awakening for Julio. And even when I thought he couldn't be, he couldn't be any bigger than he was like he's on another level. I almost don't even know how to describe what I feel like we just saw because he blew up last year. We very much know that he blew up last year, but he blew up again this year before the season even started. And it's just really cool. And it is, 
I'm really enjoying it because it does feel like it's been such a long time since we've had a real superstar. And probably in Seattle, the last superstar kind of on this level was Russell Wilson, and he's not a Mariner. So for for sports fans, but for Mariner fans in particular, like it's been a drought here. And this feels really special in a way we weren't sure was going to happen this quickly. Would you say that's fair to say? I was going to say, yeah, I famously didn't pick him as rookie of the year last year. Like I definitely didn't think this is going to happen this quickly. I, I guess I kind of expected him to grow into a star role. I didn't think he'd be a superstar, to be frank with you. I thought, and maybe that's like my tempered optimism coming in where I just was like, I, I do not know if I can allow myself to believe that this is going to happen. And so I think I thought he was going to become like a, an annual four to five win player, which is like firmly our territory, but he's entering the, the phase of like, could he be like a perennial MVP candidate, I guess, in a post Shohei Otani universe? Um, I, I, so to, to answer the question, I did, I, I don't think I thought he was going to rise this quickly. I'm also surprised how mature he was so, so young. Um, you know, I, I think we'd been hearing about that, but it was very different to see it and see how he reacted to like a pretty tough the last year. Those, those brutal strike three calls that were, not actually strike three, uh, you know, eight to 10 of those in a month, not, not getting a, a home run despite his incredibly natural power. Like, I think that's hard for somebody who's especially jumping into a spotlight like that. And he handled it with such grace that, um, you know, that, that really surprised me and, and indicated how quickly he would be able to, uh, you know, jump out to the front soon as the play started picking up. You know, our original inspiration for, for gushing about Julio is we were talking about the warm reception that Jared received. So I wanted to take it back to that. This is yeah. those things we just said were about Julio after an over three night. So you know that we are very infatuated because we have nothing negative to say. But I want to talk about Jared for a second because you're right. He did get a warm reception. I thought he had a fantastic night. It was not, you know, obviously we would have all loved for him to hit that, that, line drive out of the park didn't happen for him but uh it was over 100 mile an hour x velocity that was the pitch to swing on that at bat specifically and if you go back and you watch his at bats he made good swing decisions and i hate it when the mariners say that because it's often kind of a nebulous thing but if you watch his at bats last night he took junk off the plate especially that strikeout from shane bieber that was a good pitch like make no mistake most people that strike three was was incredible i mean it was a slider right on the on the black from Shane bieber i mean that was that was a good take he was right not to swing at that it just didn't work out like that was a cy young caliber pitch is what that was and he and he took it and he struck out and he came back and proceeded to be valuable for the rest of the game made a play on defense stole the base showed off the legs that we all hope you know if you could get on base more we might see and he hit a ground ball where it otherwise would have been into the shift for you know, a seeing eye single. And I don't know if, if I could ask for much more from a debut from Jared. What do you think, Sam? Yeah. I mean, I think the like two biggest things to watch for in terms of his uh, being more successful this year than he was last year are, well, the, the three things are better swing decisions. And we saw that the, the one strikeout was he swung at the right pitches. He took the right pitches. It just resulted in a strikeout getting balls through the shift. We saw that. And getting 
better luck on barreled balls. And that did not happen. He barreled a ball again, which is consistent with him having a pretty high barrel rate, but it was caught again. And that, that is, uh, you know, maybe that's a, a home run if he hits it to a different part of the park. Maybe it's a home run when the weather's warmer. But, um, you know, that that's the kind of luck that is really hard to imagine dogging somebody for a whole career. So um, I, Jared MVP watch. First edition right here. I, I think it looked great. I think the important thing is seeing him string together games, right? Because even in the couple of years where he wasn't great, he would have a couple of games where he like really showed off. I, he had that one, two homer game. I think it was at Kansas city. I mean, even his debut, he hit a home run in his second game. He was looking pretty good. So and I'm not trying to be a Jared Doubter. Uh, I do believe that he has made changes for the better, but I am waiting to see him do it for a longer stretch of time. Well, for sure. I mean, I don't think anybody's saying that he is currently a star, but he had a good night, I thought. Yeah, he's a young player. And, you know, I think one of the ways a lot of people, myself included, underestimated the Mariners last year was thinking that the young players even if they developed whatever that meant in kind of a nebulous fashion, it wasn't necessarily going to turn into them winning more. And that's exactly what it did. And Jared, it looks like he could be on the verge of of really being more valuable for this team. And that's exciting. But Durs, I want to ask you a question for something I know you did watch because you watched the highlights and Mr. Ty Francis three for four last night. (laughs) And I, I think we legitimately forget because he was injured a lot of time last year. He was hurt really for the last four months of the season didn't look right. It's so refreshing to see Ty France healthy with those wrists at full speed because he can hit mm-hmm. anything. What did you see from Ty France last night? Okay, so one thing is like Ty France is a hitter. And I, I, I hate it when people say like analysts are like, oh, that guy's a ball player right there. But like he is he is not a power hitter. He is not a contact hitter. He is just like a very good hitter. And in a way that is similar to how Edgar Martinez was. Now, not saying that he is as good as Edgar Martinez. I don't mean to evoke that name lightly, but um, I was impressed by, he just showed off multiple facets of his ability to hit, right? Like he had that single to the left side. He had a double later in the game, and then he had that home run. You know, this is a guy who finds the barrel um, and he can make contact and, and do damage in a number of different ways. Now, one thing I was very encouraged by you guys may recall that a few episodes ago, we all took the under on France hitting. Was it 30 home runs? 30, Zach? yeah. Yeah, we all gave like an 80% chance that he wouldn't hit 30. I, I may have even said 90. I don't remember. And the reason I gave was that he will always be injured because he crowds the plate and people are just going to plunk him. Did you guys notice he was like further from the plate than usual? And maybe he was doing that in spring training. I didn't notice that too, but he looks like he's taken like a healthy step back from the plate, which is very encouraging. I sure hope so. I didn't notice it, but I really do hope that is the case. Yeah. Well, I, so that's interesting, Durst, because what I did notice last night was on the double and on the home run, uh, the, the timing of his mechanics is not as beautiful as you would like to see for, two hits that combine for six bases. Um, it did not look like a Ken Griffey Jr. swing. If you if you watch the like the slow-mo replays, his arms are firing sort of after after his hips. And it's because he's getting the barrel to the ball where the ball ends up. It, and that to me is 
the fact that he's still able to make that contact when he's screwing up is really impressive. And so that's that's what I noticed. But thinking about what you said about him maybe having taken a step back, it would make sense to me that like that's why he was uh, like mo- reaching in that way. Right. And I may I may have been imagining things, right? I'm sure you'll you'll need to do a side by side to know, but if that's the case and he is taking a step back, then that makes the home run even more impressive because it was outside it was on the outside edge of the plate and he still got to it. Yeah, yeah. And and he was I mean, he was early on it. His his uh but the way he started firing was early, but he like held his, his bat in the zone long enough to to make contact with it. And still hit it out of the park to the opposite field. I think that's like, I guess I learned something last night about how much power Ty France has. I, I didn't know he had that in him. I attribute what you're describing to wrist speed and specifically to like wrist to bat speed and their his ability to kind of like flick the bat with his wrists. And when he is in pain and it hurts him to do that and he is missing that, you know, extra fraction of a second, he is out in front of it a little bit or he you know, he doesn't quite barrel it up like he did last night, but well, he hits he, it into the ground. Importantly. Yeah. Or he hits it into the ground, but you're right. When you look at that home run, like it's kind of a non-traditional swing in a lot of senses. It's a little weird. It looks kind of bad, but he can do it because he's getting so much torque out of that little jerky swing. And I, you kind of saw that a little bit with Kyle Lewis and Gene Segura once upon a time, which is why I love watching them hit so much is because they could do that. They could see the ball that extra second later, get the swing out because they had fast hands and still hit it out of the park. And it is, it's a rare skill. Well, I mean, Segura could not, I think he's like the much more prototypical guy who is keeping his, the barrel in the zone for a really long time in order to like continually make contact. And he's kind of hitter. Who I kind of thought Ty France was, which is like more of a, a doubles hitter. And I don't think that Ty, that Gene Segura, even prime Segura being late hit can hit it out to the opposite field. Like that's just that's so much more raw power than than he ever had. I would agree with that. I think that part of it is why it's because surprise. <laughs> yeah, I remember good Segura more than bad Segura, but I remember that he did a little Jacqueline Hyde thing where he hit three twenty and then like two forty, and so uh, you'd get very different impressions from those two hitters, as I recall. Um, but there there were fun times with Segura for sure. The uh, the Sen Segura season, I, I don't have bad feelings towards. <laughs> <clears throat> no, certainly not. Well, um, in the interest of my fever, let's wrap on one last thing for today. And we talked about it at the beginning, and we're, we're going to end with where it all started, which is Luis Castillo. What a gutsy night from him. And that is besides the fact that he took a ball off of his face. Um, and we, were, we, were, we were talking <laughs> it about it before. It was off of the hair, okay? It was off, yeah, it glanced, it glanced off of the dreads. So, you know, like the haircut definitely saved that from being a full blow, but a really impressive performance from him, shaking that off, getting out of the inning, looking like every bit, not just the guy that we paid for, but like a guy who is going to compete for a Cy Young this year starting right now. Because one of the things people had kind of talked about coming into this year was like, you know, he starts a little slow and we've had that with Felix Hernandez a lot that April was his worst month and that he kind of clicked things into gear in May. And in with Castillo's case in particular, his numbers are really sterling in September and October, not as good earlier in the season, but he looked like he looked like the real deal last night. Is that what you guys saw? Uh, the velocity was down from, from mid season form, but I thought, and, and also, you know, honestly, I think he got a lot of generous calls on the plate too. I don't want to dampen enthusiasm too much because he went, 
six innings, uh, struck out six, walked none, and the only hit was one that like should have been fielded cleanly by JP, but for the fact that Luis Castillo got in the way, which I mean, I also wanted a ball coming at me that fast. Um, so I, I, I kind of disagree. I think the results were consistent with like a guy who's going to compete for the Cy Young, but I thought process wise, like I do think this was a bit of a tune up. Yeah, I agree. I was a little bit concerned in the first inning specifically when he was only hitting like 94, 95 with the fastball, he did ramp it up at the end of that inning and then onwards into the game where he was hitting 97, 98. So, you know, and, and it is one of those things where like, okay, it's early in the season. You kind of can, can get away with that. So I'm not concerned about him by any means, but um, I think I would agree with Zach that we will probably be seeing better um, peripherals from him going forward, um, which is an exciting prospect. If like he was having that kind of performance in a night that we don't think was his best. The confidence was there of the, the like the Luis Castillo, the man was definitely out there that like we came to know and love over the last three months of, of 2022. Um, and, you know, like we talked about, he got some swings and misses from some guys who don't swing and miss that much, but I, it was not as clean as I think the final line looks like. It's I'm looking now is below on his four seamer was down 1.7 miles per hour from his average last year. I'm not concerned about that because it's his first start. It's April. That's formal. But um, you know, I don't think he just like came out and looked uh, and pitched like um, you know the best version of himself. Dissenting opinion. I like it. I think that's all. That is all good observation. I did notice too. He did get a couple generous calls. Um, it is. It is what it is. It was opening day. He's a home pitcher. Um, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to complain about it. I mean, the crowd was 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 into his performance too, and like you know, oh, umpires yeah. are affected by that sort of thing. JP drew that walk that was like a foul ball. I mean, that, I think the the crowd was like, you know, handling the officiating a little bit too. We'll take it, right? We'll take whatever advantage we can take. We will take it. So I'm I'm down with all of that. I'm down with us having a proper home field advantage. It feels like T-Mobile Park. And previously, Safeco Field were not a home field advantage generally ever. So if we can acquire some of that, um, steal some of that magic from the Seahawks, I'm down with that. Um, love to see it. Tonight will not be a sellout, which will be the first time in kind of a while. So um, really, yeah, that, which is surprising because there's a promotion for the crossbody bag, but um, hmm. not everybody's going to get it. But tomorrow's sold out for for Julio Bobblehead night. Um, so that's a big. Uh, we should we should get a show there too. Yeah, Julio Bobbleheads, that's a that's gonna be a big seller for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna wrap it there for today, everyone. Um, we will be back next week. Uh, see how the Mariners do out of this opening series. They're here for uh, a good while, right? The homestand is I want to say uh, nine games, first three series. I think it's just the first two, and then they go to Cleveland and Chicago um in order to uh get games rained out, I guess. I don't know why yeah. they would need to be there for that. <laughs> they could just do that from here, but whatever. So we will be praying for not a Midwest rainout. Um, either way, the Mariners roll into game two undefeated. I'm Evan James. You can find me on Twitter at Evan James Audio. You can find Anders at Anders Jorstad. You can find Zach at the real Zach Mason. Uh, just Zach real Zach Mason. No the. Just, no the. Just real Zach Mason. And Zach will be uh, publishing an article in the coming days on that pitch heard around the world from Matt Brash. He'll be looking out for that as well. Um, and shout out to McDougal Bats. Uh, use promo code GOEMS at checkout and you can save yourself a little money. Give the pod a little tip. Um, I checked out the bats. They are actually pretty cool, especially if you're a parent looking to buy a bat for um, you know, one of your kids for a birthday or for Christmas or something. They are customizable. 
much like you could do with a video game controller. They have all different grips and um, materials and whatnot. It's pretty cool. So uh, shout out to McDougal Bats. And uh, yeah, we will see you next time.